Hello and welcome to Trigonometry. I'm Francis Foster. I'm Constantine Kissinger. And this is a show for you if you're bored of people arguing on the internet over subjects they know nothing about. At Trigonometry, we don't pretend to be the experts, we ask the experts. Our fantastic guest this week is a wonderful comedian, Jeff Norcott. Welcome to Trigonometry. Thanks for having me on. It's great to have you here, man. Listen, the, the question we always like to ask mm. our guests before we get into the interview itself is, how are you where you are? What's your background? What's your story? Now, we know quite a bit about it, but yeah. tell us anyway. So I am a comedian. I'd probably be better known for being right of centre, conservative voter, leave voter, working class, just scumbag, basically, <laughs> depending on who you ask. But I've been around for a while. You know, I was talking about when, when I arrived here, was I've been a circuit comedian for a long time, since the early noughties. Then I was uh, I did like the writing for television. Yeah, you know, I've had lots of different phases of my career. I did a period where I did a lot of gigs for the armed forces. Obviously, I'm not totally pitching for like Jim Davidson's business, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. And then, and then you know, sort of uh, around about the early noughties, I sort of decided to ta uh, chat about the fact that I voted conservative because I thought it was just odd. My wife was the one that said it. She oh really? Said, well, I just said to her like, you know, you do the club, and the club game is brilliant. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But you do end up talking a lot about gender and stuff like that, and she and I still do to be fair. But yeah. she said. I said, I need a new subject, I need a new angle here, you know, what, what's... And she said, well, voting Tory's a bit weird, isn't it? Now, it's a bit, it's hard to calibrate that now because that was in the middle of the coalition, right, mm. which is a slightly different era, a bit more... It wasn't the Tory brand that was much of a problem as it was the Eaton set or the Bullingdon Club, right? And austerity as an idea was a problem. So I started talking about it and people were like, yeah, yeah, it's interesting. But I think the real change maybe happened in 2015 when there was that surprise... Tory majority, and then again in 2016 uh, when the Leave vote happened. So basically, as the country sort of descended into political chaos, things have been, you know, pretty cushy. Well, what about yeah. you? It's interesting because you you come from a working class background. Yes. You talk in your comedy about how your dad was a dis disabled, right? Yes, yeah, yeah. So you're not according to him, though. <laughs> right, right. He had one arm, but <laughs> it, it, it's above the waist. It's not disability. Yeah. <laughs> but for traditionally, someone yeah. from that background you would not ex expect them to be voting well, Tory. Well, ex expect, but traditionally, I mean, there's plenty of, like, you know, evidence that that has been the case. I mean, I think in the 1992 election, it was called Mondeo Man, you know, which was people that sort of, like, done all right, you know what I mean? Mm. Bit aspirational, <laughs> yeah. moved out of London, bought bigger ass, you know, garage, stuff like that, that just wanted to keep, do to keep doing well for themselves. And I think that's one of the things... I suppose that as I've always had a problem with, with the Labour Party, particularly, you know, in recent years, is, is what message do they have for aspirational uh, working class voters, of which there are, there are many. And, you know, and that's the thing about British society is, is there, there are these unwritten rules about who you vote for. But actually, all the evidence suggests that, that things have always been different. If anything, you know, the Tories right now are doing very well with working class voters. Labour doing very well in city centres with middle class metropolitan types. So... So the idea that any one party has a sort of entitlement to your vote, I think, is a sort of it's a bit dated as an idea, really. And have you always voted Tory? No, no, I started off. Um, I think I always was a Tory, if you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. Like looking back, looking back, even was, when you were a teacher, even when I was a teacher. Well, yeah, I mean, you talk about like admitting that you're a Tory in stand-up in a, in a staff room. I mean, I I remember once I bought the Telegraph into a staff room, and they were all like, and I didn't really, I didn't even realise what I'd done wrong there. But teachers. Yeah, they're, they're pretty militant, you know, and um, I, I think as a kid, I look back now on some of my attitudes and I think, yeah, I was quite a judgy little bastard at times, you know, because I, I, <laughs> I lived on a council estate and stuff and I remember like some days me and my sister would be the only ones going to school and I'd be like, look at them just sitting around wasting their fucking lunch, <laughs> scrounging, get on with it and stuff. And I, I was, uh, I remember one day in particular, like, um, you know, my, my family always give me stick about it, it was like, Apparently I was about nine and I really gave out to my mum for the fact that she was still in her, her dressing gown at like, sort of, when I came back from school. I was appalled by this fact. I was like, what, what, what haven't you done anything with your day? You know, you should get out, you should get out there, you should motivate yourself. So there was evidence that it was always there. Um, but I did vote Labour the first time, you know, 97. We all did, right? Things were going to only get better. Well, that was a Tory government, basically, it wasn't it? was, kind of, yeah. And in 2001, more of the same. 2005, I remember at the time, there was a lot of stealth taxes, uh, a lot more nanny state coming from Labour, and I just instinctively, the council tax, everyone forgets this, council tax more than, well, certainly where I was living, doubled, you know. And uh, I thought, where's this going? And I uh, voted Lib Dem in 2005, and then it was, uh, it's been Tory ever since 2010. And do you, do you think you'll stay with the Tory? Do you think you're a well, not, well? It's difficult, isn't it? I'm not. Gonna, I don't think I'll go any further, right? <laughs> 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 uh, you know, but equally, 
Yeah, I, I, it's weird. I think in a way, some of the stick I've got has radicalised me, you know, as a Tory. Mm. I, I might have, if, I, if I'd have just kept these views personal, at this point, I mean, I'd never vote for a Labour government under Corbyn, never. That is just not my cup of tea at all. That's interesting. Why not? Well, because of the brand of politics, and, and, and I, it's just not set. It's, it's too hard left for me, you know. Like yeah. what, what I believe in, you know, intrinsically, and part of the thing that makes me a Tory is a like, small state, you know, a lean benefit system and relatively low taxation. I mean, that is the opposite of, of, of what Jeremy Corbyn you know, once, and also think it's quite a regressive um, approach to uh, politics generally. But um, but I suppose if I hadn't spoke about my politics, if Labour, you know, a more centrist type, more sensible person got in charge and, you know, they sort of moved back to the centre, there would have been a chance perhaps. But I've just been called a Tory wanker so many times. I sort of think, well, I'm going to live out my days as a, as a Tory, <laughs> that's as a, what as I am a Tory now. wanker. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah. how I am, you know. I And the Lib Dems, my problem with them is obviously, you know, their immediate response to a referendum is very hard you know, you know, to call yourself Democrats and then just immediately kind of ignore a huge uh, democratic mandate was a, a problem. At the same time, as Tim Farron was sort of revealing that you know he didn't agree with gay people having sex, and I thought, well, you're sort of not liberal or democratic, really. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what you are. I mean, I've, I've got some sympathy for the, for the Lib Dems. My mum was a liberal. Uh, my dad was a, a Labour voter and stuff. So maybe there was a part of me that was just making up. You know. Yeah, the trio of very politically motivated people. It's an interesting thing where you touch on Corbyn because, I th and you talk about aspirational yeah. working class people because the thing that strikes me about the hard left, mm. whether that's Corbyn or or people in America, is the sense of victimhood that is being spread so much yeah. within that ideology, this mentality that people who are working class or people who are ethnic minorities, whatever, mm. they're victims of life. Yeah. They need help from the government. Yeah, I mean, I, for me, some of that gets in the way of what I'm able to achieve. Now, I, you know, I'm a white working class male, lived on a council estate for a bit of my life. The problem is, if, from my point of view, there are opportunities that are perhaps, you know, a lot of people would see me, you know, relatively high up that pyramid. You know, some people, you know, compared to, would you rather be like a posh woman or a working class man? You know, it gets, it does get complicated. But the amount of time, all the time you spend worrying about that, you're not actually achieving the things that you want to achieve, you know, and you could, I think mostly the things that I've wanted, if I've wanted them enough and I've worked hard enough, I've got. Now, I know people right now watching that would be going, what, you say that as a white man but there's no doubt that the more time you spend chasing a goal you know to use a phrase of the left I can't be what I can't see so you know it's better to spend that time going for it you know some people obviously have to protest but that's not my style I just rather just rather go and do it do you know what I mean I mean there was no real precedent for or certainly modern precedent for being a a Tory comedian, but I thought rather than moaning about, like, why are there no Tory comedians on? I thought I'd just see if I could write some decent jokes, you know, first up, and then make it to that point where where you've put yourself in a position to, to get some of those things that you want. I remember when you first came out as a Tory, it sounds ridiculous as a Tory. Yeah. It sounds ridiculous. Well, it wasn't totally disappointing. I mean, the old man was disappointed. Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, not a lot on the gay thing, but as a Tory, <laughs> yeah. he's like, oh, I thought, you know, raise you. I'd yeah. rather you were gay. Yeah. 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 I thought I'd raise you better than this yeah. son. It's called yeah. Kind of yeah, it is. I mean, you know, that phrase has been has been used um, before, but I suppose that's the context of the, the stand-up scene, isn't it? It's how, how it identifies itself. But... Going back to the what mm. I was going to say, like the moment you came out as a Tory and I saw it on Facebook, yeah. I thought, well, Jeff's career's fucked. Yeah, and, th and that was my initial, uh, that was my initial impulse, my initial thought that is that actually you've sabotaged your career yeah. by saying that you're right of centre. Have, what was it like, you know, the first time you well, did... I don't think, well, the time I did it, I didn't really have any profile or anything like that, so it was more like an anomaly, do you know yeah. what I mean? I wrote a couple of bits on, on Chortle and stuff like that, people were like, oh, oh. And like, like I say, it's easy to forget that it's not, it wasn't as toxic then, perhaps, yeah. you know, with the passage of time and, you know, certain things that have happened, it's seen as more toxic now. Um, I think perhaps the, in a way, coming out as a leave voter, I, I felt more like that. Really? Yeah, the morning after the referendum, you know, I because I voted leave, I believed, you know, and still believed that in the long run it's the right thing for this country, but I didn't expect them to win. Yeah. Um, so when I voted, I was like, now, and I had a very young son at this point, uh, and I was like, whoa, oh, done, do you know what I mean? Like, because obviously I looked at Facebook, and it's 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 a decent uh, sort of focus group for how the industry sees something, and it was like stupid, fucking racist, you know, and I thought, well, you know, this might, I might have overdone it, you know, just in terms of my own sort of 
you know, career and stuff like that. And I was very worried about not being able to provide for my son on this basis. Because there was that couple of weeks, wasn't there, afterwards, where everyone lost their fucking minds for a minute. Uh, well, couple of weeks. Yeah, 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 yeah. A couple of years. <laughs> Every time there's a bit of negotiation, yeah, we're all going to be eating rats, all that yeah. stuff. Um, but, yeah, um, I that was more, perhaps, um, a time. Mm. And, and it's, it's funny how people sort of misremember what happened, because I've also been, like, accused of... Of like cynicism as well, like so. The opposite of what you're saying was I only said it to get myself a career. Now, what happened was I just did off my own back. There was no real dialogue in 2013 about the absence of right voices, um, and I did a show. It was uh, February at the Leicester Square, uh, the Leicester Comedy Festival, and it got nominated for best uh, new show. And then it, I think it was in the March. Uh, Caroline Raphael, who was head of uh, comedy at BBC Radio Four, said, "Why? Where are all the right wing comedians?" I was like, um... <laughs> so I got my agent to send her, you know, an email and try and get on her radar. But I think what happened, because those two things were quite close together, everyone thought I read that article and was like, oh, I'm going to become a Tory. Because... It's a character act. <laughs> <laughs> Except the character has my name, beliefs, <laughs> way of speaking, opinions. But, but do you ever find when you, you're talking about Brexit in a comedy club where everybody mm. goes on and goes, you know, yeah. believers are a scum, yeah. Tories are scum? Well, in fairness, I think that that period, I think things have changed now. I think that there was a, a period where, where a lot of comics did do that. Yeah. It's been a while since I've heard that, but I think that, yeah, people might have misjudged the mood. All right, and you, but you've never felt like you do pro-Brexit material, yeah. especially in Zone 1 in London, yeah. and just feel you lose... But wherever you go, but wherever you go, there were a lot of people that voted Leave. I mean, this is one of the weird things about it, you know, with, with the sheer numbers game. You know, you talk about in London, you have, what is it, 37% voted Leave? I mean, yeah. if, you was in, if you was in a room of 100 people, right, and 37 of them voted Leave... 63 of them voted, that would feel like a lot of people. I mean, and in some ways, at times, you wouldn't be able to tell the difference of, you know, just looking around on a pure optics level, who's in the majority here. So there's always a lot of people that, most of them don't give as much of a shit as we do, you know, in the comedy game. A lot of them are, most people are reasonable people, you know. The Remainers that you hear online moan, the ultra Remainers are exactly that. Most people are happy to have the piss taken out of them. And the other thing is, is it's not, pro-Brexit material as such. I think that it's very hard to do any comedy about something where you're saying, I really believe in this man and here's some jokes about what I believe in. I mean, comedy almost exclusively is comes from what you think is shit, you know. Like, so so it's, it's aiming the satirical fire back at the, the you know, the Remain way of thinking. And I think that, um, I mean, the simple rule I have is like, satire is always possible is if, if it's the three H's, right? Hysteria, hypocrisy and hyperbole, right? Mm. Now, if you think about all those things and you look at, you know, some wings of the Remain camp, <laughs> hysteria, <laughs> yeah, yeah. hyperbole, yeah, yeah I yeah. think we'll still have sandwiches. You know, hypocrisy, yo, so... That's the big one, hypocrisy. There's yes. so, much, so much of that flying on both sides. Yeah, so yeah. much of that flying. Oh, right? yeah, yeah, totally. And they're, they're all, they're, they've become like each other. That's what's so odd. You know, I think ultra Remainers have become exactly... And maybe that's what you... Sometimes they say to defeat something, you have to become the beast in order to beat it. But you, you sometimes think, do you realise... What, you, what you're saying here, do you realise how fucking mental <laughs> it, it sounds to me? And I think that, I think the one bit of Project Fear that has worked, actually, um, I think a lot of it failed miserably, but I think the thing of making it seem like um, a no-deal Brexit is actually the cliff edge. I think that that's actually worked for most people, you know, for the Remain camp. The language is stuck, isn't it? You know, a cliff edge Brexit crashing out of the EU. There was an interesting stat about, you know, they talk about the reduction in GDP against... Um, because it's not actually a reduction in GDP, is it? It's against what Britain would have otherwise had. So the worst case scenario, right, was over 15 years. This is Mark Carney's prediction, so you know this was pessimistic. I mean, if that if that geezer told you it was raining, you go, hang on, I'll just check out the window, you know. <laughs> yeah. But they, he said it would be 7.7% lower over 15 years. Now, that roughly works out at about half a percent of GDP a year. Now, you think that's not, obviously, that's a big sum of money. It could build hospitals and schools. Would the average punter recognise that year in, year out? I don't know, you know? But they've been quite successful in creating that sort of environment and that sense of fear. Well, actually, the stats show that about 70% of Leave voters would happily sacrifice a chunk of their income if yeah. it meant, for example, reducing immigration. Right? Yes, yeah, and, and taking back... Well, I mean, the top thing in the Lord Ashcroft poll was, was sovereignty, wasn't it, mm. right? Self-determination in a pure sense. But that is one thing, right? And I had this chat with the producer of the MASH report, Chris Stott, who's an ardent remainer, a really good bloke. And, you know, we just, we just said it's the one thing, like, he doesn't understand, you know? Yeah. And, and at least he's honest about it. They just don't get it. They just don't get it as a principle. And you think, you, in a way, you have to respect that. There's, we, we, two years on it, if people don't understand sort of total self-determination 
now they ne they never will and I think that you know they'll say things like, oh but we do still have it we don't because there's things that we can't do um, as a country and I think that immigration was interesting because like it's always perceived that that if you was if you was against freedom of movement that's because you wanted really low immigration it's not for a lot of people certainly myself it wasn't that it was just it just seemed quite an absolutism you know freedom of movement in perpetuity for all time you think that you know, that any nation state shouldn't be allowed to, you know, sort of appropriate their needs based on what was happening in their country at that point. I just thought it was strange that that was, was, was decided centrally, you know. And also, you know, when it comes to immigration, it's sometimes, for a long time now in Britain, people have been able to, successive governments have been able to go, well, you know, it makes it a negative thing, doesn't it? We go, well, you know, the EU is better for us, freedom of movement, it's just one of those things that comes with, you know, goes with the territory. Whereas if you actually take responsibility for the amount of migrants coming here, you actually have to sell it to the public in a positive way, you know. One of the reasons that the Windrush scandal had broad sort of sympathy from the public is that was how that, that was sold to the British people at the time. People are coming to Britain because we need these people to come and do our jobs, whereas for too long now, it's just been seen as one of these unfortunate byproducts of being part of the EU. Well, that's what I was going to say. I'm an immigrant here, mm. right? You know, Francis, mother who came here as well to this country. I don't understand how they've created this cultural meme in mm. society that if you want to control or reduce immigration, that's racist. I don't. I don't understand mm. how that how that that came to be. The I mean, there's no doubt. There's some people that, that oh, want to end it that are yeah, racist. Absolutely. You know, like but the I think there was that watershed moment, wasn't there? Do you remember Gordon Brown? And there was that. There was that woman who... who Gillian uh, Duffy. Yeah, Gillian yeah. Duffy, right. She yeah. spoke to him about a lot of different things, you know, a lot of stuff that was very pro-NHS, mm. and then she ended it by saying something about immigration, and he called her an awful woman. Bigger and and I think it was like, you know, things were changing very fast. You know, the Labour government had sort of underestimated, you know, the impact of it. And, and I don't think it necessarily comes from a place of total cynicism, but, but they just hadn't legislated. It's, it's a way of filing it away, isn't it? Well, if you've got any concerns about migration whatsoever, then then you're um, a racist. And, you know, the problem is, is it just breeds uh, uh, a backlash, right? And, um, and I think that, you know, I think, I think that for this economy of this country to be successful, there will be, need to be, you know, of course there'll be. Like, no one ever said migration was, was ending. But again, that's one, I suppose that's one of the remain bits of hyperbole that, that has stuck. The idea that, you know, people will say, well, 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 I won't be able to go and work in Europe now. You go... You know that relative of yours that works in the United States, right? That's not part of, <laughs> you know, the EU. So these things will be possible. Admittedly, there might be slightly more. There might be, a, you know, be more forms to fill out and stuff, and it won't be as guaranteed. But, um, but yeah, the absolutism has been has been quite jarring. And the, 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 there's a people's well, there's a march for a people's vote on Brexit. Yeah, yeah. Do you agree with that? Well, I don't agree in calling it a people's vote. Right. Uh, I just don't. I feel like, you know, because I'm an AFC Wimbledon fan, it's like I won't call that football team in Milton Keynes, you know, I won't use that because it's not, is it? It's yeah. not. They are not the MK. I can't say it. Yeah. <laughs> I still can't say it. And it's not a people's vote, is it? It's a second referendum. And I think that in some ways, what that betrays is like, you know, people like Andrew Adonis who just. They think they understand the public. They've got, you know, they've got this arrogance that was perhaps born of the Blair years when they perhaps were on the public's pulse a little bit more. Uh, when they say, oh, you know what, what are people like? People like people, you know, like, for the many, not the few. You know, what should we call it? We call it a people's vote. And then it was immediately massively, you know, patronising. Um, but it's gaining traction at the moment. You know, there's probably more people in favour of the second referendum now. But I think that that was inevitable as you got to the crunch point. What has been interesting about this process is that some people seem surprised that a negotiation is like a negotiation. <laughs> I was like, this is what happens, right? You know, brinkmanship. And the stakes are incredibly high, so it's always going to come to this, right? But, um, but yeah, the way that the markets get, get spooked and stuff. I'd, I'd love to be a currency trader at this point. It must be the easiest job. You're just sitting there, just watching, like, Guy Verhofstadt's uh, Twitter feed. Yeah. They're going, oh, he says we're in trouble. Pound goes down, you know. <laughs> There's going to be a deal. Pound goes up. It's it's amazing how, how these words... Uh, you know, you remember right at the beginning, Theresa May was saying, like, oh, we're not going to provide a running commentary on Brexit. And, 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 and everyone said, well, we should know. I bet you even some Remainers are going, do you know what, it would have actually been better if they'd have just, you know, fucked off and just come back and said, this is where we're at, and then we could have made the decision then. Do you know what? That would be a great sketch, actually, if you yeah. just saw, like, the, it was like a horse race. You know, the Remain yeah. campaign, the Leave campaign, and yeah, there's yeah. negotiations of Brexit, and then there's a running commentary about the fall of the pound and whatever else. Yeah, yeah. 
You get, I mean, because I. Go on, you, you do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've done him. a lot of driving. I really liked the idea, and I, was, I went to run with it. Yeah. But my brain was going, "You got fuck all today." Yeah. <laughs> but but I, th- I think the issue is like right yeah. now. I have just got and I've voted Remain, yeah. and I've just got sick of the scaremongering. Yes. I can't be bothered with it anymore. I'm now at the point where I want to leave. Yeah. Because I just think that the scaremongering, you know, every time you pick a paper up, you just say that the entire country is going to collapse. Yeah, people don't gonna... believe it, I suppose. I, yeah. th- I think that's the problem, is, is if you pitch, like, your fears in a reasonable way, you know, like, like stuff like data roaming and stuff. Like, yeah. I swear to God, if Remain had just mentioned data roaming in the campaign, they might have won. You know? <laughs> if they'd have said, these are the material things that will definitely change as a result... Of leave, but they had to go. They have to go for the. And this is one problem with like liberal and progressive politics. They're bound up in dystopian thinking. They're the pessimists. Do you know what I mean? They're the Cassandras all the time. And maybe that's what happens when you're not in power. But they're always the one. Oh, the world's coming to an end. The world. Oh, you know. You often hear this thing about well, with the, the you know the world's such a dark place right now. You know, we're going to hell in a handbasket. And you know, obviously there are certain personalities, certain things ha- happening. But you know, overall. <laughs> You know, and we often it's quite parochial to just judge that on a Western sort of metric as well, just because we feel a bit uncertain in Britain. You know, they've got a slightly, you know, a very unsettling president at the moment. You can't just say the world's going to hell in a handbasket just because you're going through some political rocks and rolls. Well, that's crazy, isn't it? Like, mm. someone who comes from Russia, I've travelled all over the yeah, world, yeah. so... I mean, we talk about how things are terrible. Mm. There's never been a better time to be alive. Well, I mean, there's that thing, isn't there, like, that the, a lot of people on the left often dismiss is that glo- global poverty is halved in the last 20 yeah. years. They cannot accept it. They're like, no, you're like, but it, it just fucking has, you know, it's less... Every metric of life, less wars, less pollution, uh, less famine. But they're just Prime, like, no, no, yeah. no. And it, it's one of those, you know, there's the the, uh, the information gap. I can't remember what it's called, but like, and it, it works on the right as well. Like, so if you ask people in Britain, you know, what percentage of Britain do you think is is Muslim? You know, a lot of people, I think a lot of people think it's 28%, which is not. It's like about 5%, right? But equally, there's a lot of people on the left that think that, you know, the global poverty has doubled uh, in the last 20 yeah. years. And I guess, I guess it comes down to a way that you wish to see the world almost. No, completely. Well, uh, Francis was concerned about your career when you came out. Yeah. But that actually, uh, his concerns were unfounded. You've done very, very well. You've been it's on been Live with Apollo, the yeah. Mass Report, etc. Why do you think that is? Because I'm a fucking smashing shit. shit. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, great, great to work with. Very professional. And no, I think that look, I've been around a while as well. That's the other thing. You know, I've done the circuit since 2001. So when and this is the weird thing for me in a way is like. You know, people on the right would often kind of speak out against diversity and stuff like that. And I, I could, I suppose, but I'm also like quite a big beneficiary of it. I'd like to think that, you know, once the opportunities came, I was at a point where I could take them. But it'd be, it'd be fatuous not to acknowledge that, that if I hadn't had my politics, it would have been hard for a man of my age to get on those shows, you know. Um, it took me a while to work out, you know, how to do it as well. It's hard, you know. There's a, I think the thing with right of centre comedy is that there are less subjects, right? There are a lot less that lend itself, um, you know, to comedy. But once you land on one, it's great because it's it's almost low hanging fruit because no one else is talking about it. You know, you get first bite at a lot of those a lot of those cherries, and you also benefit, I think, from from one one thing that comedy always needs, which is misdirection. You know, mm. like what 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 was the the audience's expectation, and what did you say? Now, if they're all thinking that you're going to say that you're pro Remain and a Labour voter, and you do the opposite straight away, you've subverted that expectation. So, you know, I, I know I've been learning, and even even this tour that I'm doing at the moment, um, traditionalism, it started off, it started off at the Edinburgh Festival last year, and you know, I had to make certain adjustments there, and then took it out on tour early this year. Uh, a spring tour and then took it back to Edinburgh for a run it's been changing all the while right now I feel like it's closer to what I want to be doing you know than than I ever have been and it's a mix I suppose of hard P political stuff social commentary and then you know some of it's just observational comedy because believe it or not I don't want to stand up there the whole time for a whole hour wanging on about politics and I don't think many audience members want to hear it really and do you sometimes feel that more, more kind of middle class or upper middle class audiences they sort of, the moment you come out as and say, right, you know, and you talk about this right yeah. right wing, well, not right wing, but right of centre politics, they immediately yeah. go, racist, bigot, all the rest I of it. I think that, less so. I think that, I think that the time when that was most febrile was maybe 2017, yeah. I suppose, when I went up to Edinburgh Fringe. Uh, it was post-Grenfell and stuff, and, you know, there was a lot. It was, it was, uh, it was a difficult time, you know, to have these views 
I remember I did a, idiotically, I did a Facebook campaign, advertising campaign, and you, you guys are very tech savvy and stuff, so you tick certain boxes about, yeah. you know, whether you do a bit of targeted or generalised. And I was like, people who are interested in stand up comedy, and I meant it to, you know, people who are interested in, like, I I'd often use a newspaper, like, you know, the Times or something. And I didn't tick that, so it just went out generally. So I paid money for, like, the best part of two of you fucking toys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you want you go, and it's funny the way that they perceive you, if they've never, you know, if they've never met you, they always make, oh, you posh boy you know, your Tory boy, why don't you go back to your, you know, your, your, your landlord with your portfolio. And they, they basically ended up describing a lot of things that I wish I was, you know. <laughs> like they go, and it actually made me annoyed where I was thinking, I wish I was a successful, uh, they've pissed me off now because I feel like I'm not doing well enough. Um, but yeah, they, they, I think that, I think what's happened as well is with, with uh, you know, Labour's trouble with anti-Semitism and stuff like that. I, I think that the idea that one side has this kind of, total monopoly on virtue. I think a lot of people get clued up to some of the more unpleasant politics on the hard left. So it's harder to just say, it's not like Jedi versus Sith anymore. It never was. But some people like to see it that way. You know, I'm a good guy because, you know, every five years I tick a certain box and you tick a... It's just, I mean, it's still like, I mean, I've, I've been thinking about this for years and it still blows my mind that people think that there's just one way to be a good person, you know, or one way for a government to help people. No, absolutely, and I, that, that's one of the things that blows my mind about the, you know, if, like you said about the left, is they, they've got this belief that they're in the right. Like, mm. you look at Corbyn, they go, yes, Corbyn is the Messiah. Mm. And you go, but what about Venezuela? What about what's happening? Oh, no, 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 it doesn't. And it's this complete belief. Well, they often the say about Venezuela, they say that, you know, um, socialism's never been properly tried in any country. I'd argue that capitalism's never been fully tried. You know what I mean? You, you look at any, you know, perhaps the sort of paragons of capitalist virtues, which is Britain and the US, still got, you know, there's still got state institutions, right? There's still yeah. a lot of, you know, uh, uh, interference in the market. I'm not saying I disagree with all of it. But, you know, that hasn't been tried at either end. And I think that if you look at both experiments that have happened... <laughs> Not that hard a Yeah, choice, really. one of them tends to end up with higher inflation, let's put it that way. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so coming back to comedy, you were talking about how the atmosphere was very febrile in 2017. My sense of it now is with people like yourself coming through. We talked about Finn Taylor, who's mm -hmm. he's, I don't I don't know whether he's right off center or not, but he's someone who does satire in a, in a kind yeah, of, a contrarian sort of yeah exactly. So I start to see people like you coming through. Do you think that people in Channel 4 and the BBC and the people who control comedy on television mm. are starting to wake up to the fact that half the country doesn't actually want to be constantly bombarded with these yeah. same, same, same messages? I think definitely at the BBC. You know, it's interesting for me because, you know, I... I, I some, some, even people that follow me seem to think I'm being like excluded. I'm like, well, I've done live with the Apollo, you know, the <laughs> week, Mash Report and Question Time. So... Yeah. Things take time as well. I think that maybe there was a period where things would let slide and it became... Because there was always balance in political comedy once upon a time, wasn't there? You know, I grew up like probably yourself, like Spitting Image. You know, there was they always went for Kinnock. So that was how my political comedy psyche was formed. I think something happened somewhere along the line where that just ceased to exist. I don't know, I don't know why that was, but something changed. And I think that what happened with the Brexit vote was it was like... Avengers Infinity War, like everyone was fighting each other, you know, it was all kicking off and you had, you know, you had Metropolitan Tories who were who were slating, you know, kind of uh, rural Tories that had voted leave, you had Liberal Labour voters slating sort of socialists that voted leave, and I think it was a real set in, reset in politics, and the idea that you could still, I think most people accepted that comedians were probably Labour voters, for whatever reason they just did. I think Brexit was different, and I think that it took the industry a while to kind of come round to that, but but trust me, there's, there's you know, they, they're conscious of this fact, and they want to, you know, and I, I have meetings all the time with people that, that don't agree with my views and stuff, but are, you know, the, the producer of the Mash Report would be one example that, if anything, pushes me, you know, to, to be more honest and stuff. And, and you know, there was that clip recently about uh, breaking up with a Ramona. Yeah. Um, did, like, half a million views. And, you know, the other thing is, you know, numbers talk and bullshit walks. And I think that would have raised some eyebrows, really, yes. You know when you were talking about sort of being like sort of being pro Brexit, being Tory, and the yeah. abuse you get, like I sometimes feel like, especially when it comes from the left, like they think that they're actually persuading people. Yeah. That you know that oh you know what if I say enough uh, horrible things about mm. somebody that they're going to go actually here's my epiphany you were right all along I will join your side. 
Yeah, I, I think that it's just a way of like patting yourself on the back, isn't it? Yeah. I don't know what, what the, the emphasis was. And I, I think, you know, it's like, I think it's like being a, hard, a tough guy, right? You know, guys that can really fight, they really need to tell you mm. that they're tough. It's the same. I do, mate. Yeah. I've seen the tattoos, but they are flowers, so. (laughs) Just see that right hander coming in, then it'll be a weird little face stroke, you know. Um, But I I think it's the same as if you're a good human being, you know, like, if you really felt confident that you're a good human being, would you need to keep going around saying that? Um, You know, I I think I'm I'm a fantastic bloke, you know what I mean? I'm just fucking lovely, really, but. I what I kind of what I think what I do in in comedy sometimes is everything you do in comedy is a slight amplification of a part of you and and what what I got asked when I did Mashport particularly the first episode was like oh you're making it up or do you really think these things you think well I might like if you have a, a conceit right or a or a hyperbolic thought you might not think it all the time but you certainly had the thought once uh, so it, not in terms of my overall politics but just like. I had this idea for the match report, basically, which was uh, uh, people over the age of 80 shouldn't get NHS treatment because I just thought they're just, they're just taking the piss. And, you know, they, and, you know, I still, even as I say it, I'm like, you know, it is a sledgehammer of cracking up, but, like, I just don't, I, you know, why are you still knocking around for? You know, it's one way... I'm not saying, like, I, I don't know like, the logistics that they would just be, but maybe they'd be a bit more careful. I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't now, think we... I'm, I'm sort of appalling myself as I say it. But, yeah. but this was the point. I did have the, th- the thought, right? So I thought, that's funny. It's funny that I thought that, right? Mm-hmm. And so sometimes with my comedy, it's like you give, you give the inner bastard a little bit of a runaround, right? You know, it's not, it's not a fake part of you. It might not be the total part of you. But what happens when you get critiqued by people, especially if they're not disposed to your comedy, they'll, they'll, they'll point out that fact. Well, you don't really think that, so, you know, you're a fake or something. You think, well, on the left, commit. I mean, if you look at, like, Stuart Lee and Frankie Boyle, who, don't get me wrong, I think they're brilliant, do you know what I mean? Brilliant yeah. political comics. Yeah. But they, so much of it is hyperbole, right? But if you already agree with that point of view, so if somebody's talking about, you know, post-Brexit... We'll all be eating rats. You're like, yeah, fucking stick it to them. You're yeah. going, well, no, no one really thinks that we're going to be eating rats, right? But that's just a way of making a point. Well, and, that's you know, comedy. You have to exaggerate to make things funny, right? Yeah, sometimes. Yeah, sometimes. And the funny thing about that routine was um, uh, my wife's uh, granddad, who's, who's still about, he was like, you know, he's like, yeah. I don't know why I'm still fucking... You know, <laughs> he goes, it's just boring. And he goes, you know... And then we got chatting, and that was where the line was. You know, I think there was a line I said about, you know, what you're sitting around for another golden year in the day room watching cash in the attic, when actually we want your cash that's in the attic. You know? yeah. that's, the, that's the idea. But, um, but yeah, mostly people... Mostly people get it. I do think that there is this thing that I have had, whereas if people just don't like the idea of me, you know, it's like... Because I'm working class as well, because of the way I communicate, some people see it as a bit aggressive. I just see it as I grew up in South London. You know? Yeah, you, well, but, you had to, well, you had to have a yeah. little bit of an edge so you didn't get decked at school. Yeah, I did get decked at school <laughs> yeah. a lot. So of, did I, mate. Often by... Often by girls, actually. I went to school in um, <laughs> I went to school in uh, Wandsworth for a while called Southfields. Would you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, my mate taught. That I way. don't know what it's like now. Problem with schools these days: if you don't mention them for twenty years, someone go, oh, "Yeah, it's a really good school now." So yeah. all your war stories are fucked <laughs> off out of it, <laughs> and you're like, "Yeah." And then I'll tell you now the story about getting beat up by girls, and you'll be like, "No, no, it's a really respected, you know, faith school now." And yeah. uh, but um, but yeah, so I'm just I've, I don't know what we're talking about. Well, I was I, I've ask... lurched back into memories of I can't remember her name was Lorraine Be- something. Being beaten up by a girl. It's yeah. so humiliating because you know you're raised that way by your parents and never hit a girl but it's really difficult when a girl's literally kicking the shit out of you and we're not, I'm not talking about like slaps I'm talking about like actually landing shots do you know what I mean like, and at the point where she landed one of them I was like that was a good punch like, it was really proper like landed square on the jaw yeah it's going to be you would get beaten up by a girl called Lorraine as well it's a good old fashioned yeah South London Lorraine from Wandsworth yeah <laughs> well, I was going to take you back to, to a more serious point uh, about voices like yours now being heard. Leo Curse, uh, yeah. right-wing comedian, is starting good, yeah. to get a bit of traction. Do you think we're, we're kind of past the point where we were so polarised that we couldn't listen to the other side and now voices like yours are kind of going to start to lead to a bit of a rebalancing? I think that... I think that for us, there's still, I would imagine, the vast majority of people in this country, because obviously most of them won't have heard of me. If you say a Tory comedian, they're like, what? I mean, that'll still be, you know, you still, I've seen like my, the flyering team that I have in Edinburgh when they're selling it to people. That's still the reaction, you know. So, I've, and also at the time that I'm, I'm getting on some of these shows, the overall audience for a lot of mainstream BBC comedies, you know, I mean, compared to the, I mean, Love of the Apollo now gets, what, just over a million, you know. A lot of comedy shows get around, the good ones get around that mark when they were clocking in at four or six million once upon a time. So, 
So, you know, the idea that you can completely change people's opinions with one, you know, stuff sitting around online actually surprised me. That that actually, just getting your clips up there, you know, on my YouTube channel. Um, <laughs> but, you know, just leaving it there, letting that, that stuff grow uh, as well. And I think that for the average punter in the public, you know, they're just... Balance is a part of life. It's only within our world that the idea of somebody having right of centre views or being a leave vote in comedy was weird. And that's what I found, actually. After the leave vote, I was doing the cutting edge uh, two nights later at the comedy store, and obviously the majority of that panel were uh, sort of left-leaning Remain voters, and we got on well with us. You know, we had a good conversation backstage, um, and they were like, right, we're going to go out there and we're going to hammer you and stuff. So they, they did, but what happened was the audience were like, well, quite a lot of us vote leave. Like, so straight away... And also, then it worked for me because it looked like I was getting bullied. Um, <laughs> Back to the playground with Lorraine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, yeah, so it, it, it was an early sort of like reminder of, of the sheer scale of, of the numbers involved. And, and even if there was a room of 70 people that, you know, 70% voted Remain maybe, all of those people have got relatives that voted Leave as well. And, and they'll probably know that, you know, in the most part, they're not evil as well. So... So it, I, I think that that's what's happened. We're still in a, in a phase of just getting to grips with this absolute reset, you know, that's happened politically in British public life. Oh, I think one of the great things about your voice is that, like, a, a lot of people in, in comedy just don't seem to acknowledge that your voice exists. Mm. And, it, and, and especially when, you know, the, oh, the echo chambers of Facebook, I thought we were going to storm it with, with Yeah, with well, the first one was 2015, actually, when that yeah. happened. People were like, I can't believe that the powerful, charismatic leadership figure, Ed Miliband, isn't Prime Minister <laughs> of Britain. I always thought with Miliband, it was him that was, you know, right from when he got the job. I, in any culture, in any civilised society, leadership is something you expect, mm. it, you know, whether it's irrational or not. And he just wasn't the guy. I mean, yeah. like in, in so many um, in so many elections, being prime ministerial is a big deal. Part yeah. of the reason that Theresa May didn't get a majority last year was because she didn't seem prime ministerial. So, like a lot of things, I wasn't shocked that the Tories won uh, uh, a majority. I think uh, the echo chamber thing. I think the people are conscious of it now more. Um, although I've actually started to like the echo chamber thing. I think I, I, I've started to create one of my own, and I've sort of thought, you know, <laughs> it took me a while, but yeah. when you've got one, I mean, oh, this is nice. You know, it is very nice. Like with the show that we do, we have a lot of yeah. people who think in a similar way to yeah, us. Yeah, it's lovely. And yeah. it's very nice, and yeah. you can see why it's so comforting. Yeah. Comforting. But actually, I was thinking Ed Miliband is exactly the kind of guy you see on the playground beating up by a girl. Yeah. Yes. I don't know, he's quite, he's quite tall though, Ed, quite rangy. <laughs> if, he just, if he just sticks some... I'm not, by so the way, suggesting... So what you're saying is he beats up girls? No, no, I'm not suggesting the strategy is We're going to clip that, by the way, that's going right. to go viral. Jeff Norcott says Ed Miliband beats up young girls. Yes, so, yeah. I'm saying he could. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. You know what struck me? I, I remember watching you on Live at the Apollo, uh, and this is the shy Tory phenomenon. You go, mm. how many people in here voted? I can't remember whether it was voted Tory or voted Leave. Yeah, voted Tory. Yeah. Voted Tory. And in a room of, a, what, how many thousand people? 3,000. 3,000 people. You got, like, three cheers <laughs> or something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I've got to be honest, I suppose, for me, that's great for me. Of course. Because yeah, it course. makes it look, you know... I did say to them beforehand, if, if loads of people cheer, can you edit that out? Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to act. But, but it's true. No, in that room, um, yeah, there, there wasn't, like, a big and that was you know last year and that was while things were were so tense and it's not it's weird because somebody said to me about the other day about like a kind of like uh, a balls out maneuver I didn't I don't know why I didn't really think of it at the time as being like that because I've just been saying that at the Edinburgh Fringe and stuff but when I look back on it in a room that size and the gig you know it's live at the Apollo biggest gig close closest thing any comic gets to playing in an FA Cup final right yeah and then I did the equivalent of like a, a half time just bringing on the tricky little winger you know while it's yeah. still you know, while the game was still close, but the, the audience, I think most of it, right, and this is true of all comedy, the audience are looking for a sense of who you are. Is this person a, a bad person? You know, a nasty person? You know, what's the tone of this comedy? I don't want to get into this whole punching up or punching down thing because I think we've got too locked into the idea that, again, like it's a binary thing. I think it's far more complicated than that. And to be honest, I'd rather like punch, you know, in a sort of sideways 360. Yeah. Fucking, you know, I think it's possible to, to play with those boundaries. But I think if they get the sense of you that you're not an arsehole, some of them would have thought I was an arsehole. But <laughs> do you know what the funny thing about that Live of the Apollo appearance and, and, and in some ways like a, an indication of the age that we live in, the biggest pushback I got off that off online um, well, so I mentioned a joke, I did a joke about concentration camps as well. Yeah. Um, I did. I talked about being a Tory and stuff. I, I did. A, I did a routine, a really innocuous routine about my wife taking shoes on holiday, 
And there was, uh, I got these responses quite standard, was about, you can't say that about women. I was like, <laughs> I'm not saying that about women, I'm saying that about, about, about my wife. You know, I've become quite cautious. One thing I did listen to from feminists was like, you know, you extrapolate about all women, sometimes you lose people because they think, well, that's not me. So I thought, all right, if I talk about my experience, no, no one can ever tell me that I'm wrong about my own relationship as long as I know I'm being honest. You're so naive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, you're wrong about this. Well, you're, you're such a whore. And then, then the thing is, I think like now you're slating my missus because you're going like, you're saying, well, this is a whore concept of what a woman is. I'm going, That's, this is how my marriage is. Yeah. It, might, yeah. it might just be that, you know, and you know, uh, yeah, a controversial concept that broadly speaking, there are quite a lot of women that like shoes. Mm. <laughs> this is the problem with like the modern online communities. They make it easy for me to seem controversial. They make it way too easy because I'm not controversial. No. I don't no, think. No. You know, I've got like you know my views are more or less. If you look at the Overton window, like I'm almost bang in the middle of it, right? Yeah. And and yet I come off like some sort of edge lord <laughs> for, for saying. And this is what I say to them sometimes, like because because when I was on Mock the Week the other week, so I did a few jokes about uh, Remainers, and they all made the edit right. So when it, when it, when it went out, obviously people were, there was a certain kind of person that was a bit surprised, a bit triggered, a bit shocked. And, and then so, like, I was just having a chat with somebody and they were saying, yeah, when I read the Twitter stuff, I went on it thinking, what did he say? And, of course, what I said wasn't that, you know, sort of uh, adversarial. It was just a couple of jokes about the idea of a second referendum. But these, what happens is people, so if, like, a tweet about me, you know, like, gets a lot of likes, then people will see that. Then they'll think, fuck, who is this guy? Yeah. This guy's out there. He's mental. And then I've, the only thing that annoys me about it is the idea that they come to my come to my shows and they're expecting me to talk about, you know, sort of drop kicking a toddler or something. And, then, <laughs> and the truth of the matter is, is that, you know, I, I see myself as, as, you know, with reasonably, reasonably familiar opinions, you know? But ultimately it's the age we're living in, isn't it? Where, so yeah. where you know, you can say, like we get, the, the amount of things, like I'm pro-fascist apparently. Because of this podcast, you yeah. can say something that ten. You see the way I just checked you out there. When one, this is how it works. You said pro-fascist. I went like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, but but that's the way it's that's the way it's gone. Why, what, on what base? I'm just interested. On what basis are you pro-fascist? Well, I just got like a few Hitler posters, mate. But no, yeah, yeah, a bit in Second World War memorabilia. <laughs> yeah, yeah, marching up and down with my big, hel big helmets, MG42, yeah. But I just think it's when you say something like, for instance, I don't agree with Corbyn. I would never vote for Corbyn. I'm I'm not hard left. I'm sort of left centre, centre left, soft left. Yeah. And because I disagree and say I would never vote for some for somebody like Jeremy Corbyn, mm. all of a sudden that means you're not part of my camp. Mm. You are the enemy. Therefore, you are a fascist. Well, I don't. Mm. I actually don't think it's about that at all. I think the reason that we get called a right-wing podcast or a fascist or Nazi apologist is not because of what you say or because of what I say. It's because we talk to people from both sides. Yes, yeah. That's why. So if we have someone who's a little bit controversial... Well, you talk to people from both sides of the Nazi debate. <laughs> yeah, the Nazi debate, yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's only one side to that debate yeah. uh, and one side what. But no, yeah. we, talk, we talk to people on the right, we talk to people yeah, yeah. on the left. Um, and I think it's that. It's the, the fact that we talk about free speech a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the number one well, issue yeah, that I mean, makes that, you a fascist That is a now. problem. And I think, you know, we, do, we talk about the tone of the debate on, on the hard left is, is some of these, these terms like fascist, racist and stuff, is that, they, you know, they seem to think that they're like, you know, in Karate Kid, the crane kick, you know. Yeah. They seem to think that that's always going to be the conversation ender. And once upon a time, possibly it was. Yeah. Problem is, is like you keep rolling it out every single day on Twitter, you know, every single day online for people that patently aren't it's such serious words it's such an awful thing to be mm. like a, like a genuine like biological racist it's just probably the worst sort of view that you could hold so once people see that applied to people that patently aren't then then the word has already lost its power and that's what i think that they're running up against now and that's and in a way and this is a problem for the left is that you know some legitimate call i mean it is very much the, the boy who cried wolf yeah. You know, isn't it? Some legitimate criticisms of people are now people are able to sort of shrug them off because they're now looking at it in a, in a litany of things where people have, you know, again, it's this thing hyperbole. People have tried to get get an idea across the line with with emotion and guilt trips mm. rather than with reason. Mm. And it's a good example of what you're talking about because, like, every time Francis calls Tommy Robinson far right on mm. our show, we get a bunch of people going, "He's not far right. He's just a you know a normal guy." And you go, well... I mean, if he's not far right, <laughs> what... <laughs> right. And I think yeah. the reason people now think that way yeah. is because that label of racist yeah, or fascist yeah. has been so debased 
that yeah. no one really knows what a racist is anymore. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and I think as well, like... And this is one of the problems is in public life is like do you remember when people get accused of being racist? It, it, no one ever owned it either, you know. And I'm not not this is not approving of racism, but I thought, <laughs> but when people say that things that are patently fucking racist, right? Mm. Or being caught saying stuff that's racist, yeah. like you know Mel Gibson. I mean mm. those phone calls. If you've never, I mean they're just mind blowing, right? But if someone just come out and just said, you know. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You know, they never say, they say, um, and they, not only that, they always go to the opposite of saying, I'm the least racist person. You, don't make, you, you ain't the least. <laughs> you know what I mean? You don't use those words, Mel, if you're not a little yeah. bit, you know, I'm just saying it's a spectrum and, you know, you're closer yeah. to that end than, than you are that end. So I think on both sides, it's been fudged, right? You get the people that are calling people racist that possibly aren't racist, and then people who are clearly racist, like you say, Going, no, no, me, me. You ask anyone in the tiny community of, of, of my wife, right? And and they'll tell you I'm, I'm a lovely bloke. You know, a person that you know, possibly depends on me being in work. Weirdly, they will support you know my character. Now, where we are politically, and um, with Corbyn so far to the left, and. I'll be honest with you, the Tories, where they are, do you think the Tories are going to win the next election? And do you think, more importantly, mm. do you think they're missing a trick with voters like me who are drifting around in the centre going, I've got no political well, home to go are to? Trying to? they are trying to pitch you. I mean, like, uh, Theresa May did that one recently where she said, you know, Labour voters, if you're not happy with Corbyn and stuff. I, I think that before anything is known about Brexit, it's going to be hard to make a real land grab for those voters because people are it just feels like we're treading water towards something I think post that and I think if if Brexit isn't as bad as people think it's going to be and I don't think it will I don't think it's even possible that it could be the sort of like I keep thinking it's like you know that that cartoon When the Wind Blows you know like the one we had about nuclear holocaust the problem with the remain camps if you set that there if it comes in anything above this sort of like, you know, Mad Max territory, you could claim it as a success. <laughs> Go, well, you said we'd be eating rats, and actually we're eating pigeons. Yeah. <laughs> so Brexit wins, right? Yeah. But it, but once we get beyond that point, I think that there is... Um, and, and I do think that the Tories have, have a few tricks that they can play. I think the next generation of politicians that they've got are actually will surprise people. You know, they're, they're probably... They do need to look at the diversity in their own ranks because ultimately young voters value that. Um, but luckily for them, they've got talented po- politicians like James Cleverley, you know, a lot of people like Ruth Davidson, they've got Sajid Javid, you know, um, Sean Bailey Am, who's the, the London mayoral candidate. So I think that the, the tough thing for Labour at that point is once you get a more diverse Tory front bench, some of the old cliches aren't going to stick, you know? I mean, if like, you know, if Ruth Davidson is the leader of the Tories, what, I mean, she's a working class lesbian. Yeah. What are you going to say? Well, you, you were part of the Bullingdon. I mean, you've eaten. You, <laughs> nothing. Yeah. So I, th- I think that, yeah, going forward, I think that if the Tories can, can get some sort of Brexit deal that isn't quite as catastrophic as people think, I think that it's easier for them. Because I, I, don't, I don't see how Labour can get rid of Corbyn for the next two or three years. And while he's in power... I mean, you know, I've been doing this tour and stuff, and you, you go up to the northwest. There's a lot of Labour voters, socialists that just don't like the man. So he is a toxic figure, you know, to some people. But it's very hard for them to get rid of him. So I think the Tories have got a chance to pivot sooner than Labour have. We talk about the left a lot, and we, you know, a lot of our guests will criticise the far left, and, and you've done, and we do. Because it's fun. It's and fun. they're nuts. And they're fucking yeah. mental, some of them, the far yeah. left. You right? can't say mental, that's offensive. All <laughs> oh, oh, right, I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that's uh, my yeah, comedy. Suffering from severe mental health well, issues. Well, mate, both our comedy careers are pretty much over on the basis of this show, so that, yeah. that's fine. Um, I was going to ask about the right, though, because the far left has gone mental, but the far right. Mm. is gaining traction. Mm. It certainly feels like it. I mean, yeah, yeah. we mentioned Tommy Robinson. The guy's got a million subscribers on YouTube. He's all over, the, the mm. everywhere. He's, the UKIP are talking about bringing him into the party. So there does seem to be that that movement yeah. that is picking up. Yeah, no, there's and I imagine someone like you who's centre-right mm. would be quite concerned of about course, that. Of course, and in, in many ways, like this, one of my big concerns about a, a second referendum and about about the need for there to be a meaningful Brexit is because if there's not, the, the narrative for the far right, it becomes so easy, doesn't it? I mean, like in terms of a pitch to disaffected youth, say, it's simply this, like, they didn't listen to you, we will. That's all they have to say, you know? Yeah. You, you, you told them what you wanted, right? You know, there was a vote, 
you know, and, and, and it hasn't been actioned, you know, especially, I mean, like, you know, it's one thing of fudging Brexit, but some people, I mean, this is just fine, amazing people, I just think we should just stop, just stop, you know, <laughs> like, just, it's like, you know, when it's people like, like, like you, you just, just like, a, like a, a really harassed mother with a yeah. headache, you know, like, just, Nicholas, stop it with all the yeah. Brexit, it's giving mother a headache, just, the, it's like, it's this bad thing, like, getting passed over for a promotion that they can just make go away, you, you can't, you have to deal with this hot potato, and if you don't, that is the problem, and you look at, it's Scary. Like I watched that. Um, I watched that film yesterday uh, by Paul Greengrass, twenty second uh, of July, about Anders Breivik. And you think this is going back to two thousand and eleven? And this is broadly a factual, factually based film and about th that rise, you know. And it, and it, it's, it's, it would have only um, carried on. And and the need to engage with those concerns at the very least, because there's a lot, you know, there's a lot of people that feel that way. And and if you literally ignore a, a, a democratic mandate, I, I don't know what happens next, genuinely. And I think that what people could end up with, you know, people on the centre left and left thinking that, you know, and people like myself um, thinking that UKIP, that we think, oh, UKIP were the good old days of, yeah. you know, at least UKIP were embarrassed about their racism. At least, <laughs> at least they would pretend that they didn't say stuff. You know what I mean? It'd be, you know, you know, when people there was a difference between like the IRA and, and Al Qaeda, and yeah. then people would say, "Oh, the IRA were the gentleman bombers, yeah. right?" Yeah, because yeah. yeah. you got a warning. Yeah, 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 so yeah. UKIP would have been the racist that would phone in a warning. Yeah. Um, whereas you might end up with something, you know, and people express a lot of people left. You know, they they they're worried by somebody like Tommy Robinson, but you think, you know, in the future, it alarms me the idea that there could be. People actually, maybe not MPs, but there could be people who are sitting on councils and stuff. Like you know, I mean, it happened, and the, and the idea as well, like the the Bre sort of Brexit started racism in this country. I think that it's so it's so ignorant because if you look at like, but you know, back into the noughties, we had didn't we have a BNP councillor in, yep. in Burnley? Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, in the early part of this decade, the EDL were formed, and there were there were marches. So, and this was before a referendum was even on the table. So, yeah, it may have brought some... And there's no doubt that, you know, there is a branch of Brexit thinking that comes from that. But the idea that this is where it began, I, I think, is, 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 a, is another way of ignoring a, re a really tricky issue. I agree. And do you think, like, just to finish up with, uh, on Brexit, but do you think when you have people like Katie Hopkins coming out and being pro-Brexit, what it actually did was taint and diminish what the movement was about? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, one of the the tricky things for everybody about Brexit is you end up standing on a really long platform waiting for a train with, like, you know, in any pack train, there's going to be some pricks on it, right? Yeah. And you know, <laughs> so so, but that doesn't mean like you st you still believe in the d destination, and it's true for, you know, and I know for a fact there were some people that were nodding along to David Cameron during the the you know the the referendum campaign some people who've despised Tony Blair for years but you know he's a leading light it's made us it's forced us all in some really quite uncomfortable um, alliances but that's because it's a binary idea it was always going to do that and yeah there are you know but there are there are plenty of personalities involved in the room I mean Andrew Adonis I don't want to keep going it's a bit Fucking, I cannot believe he's a real person. You know, like, I don't know if you saw he did this video, right? He said, like, you know, we've got to get out of the metropolitan bubble, you know, and I want to get some answers and stuff. So he, go, he goes to this video, right? And he literally speaks to, like, two leafos around him and he goes, hmm, hmm. And then he's, like, hanging around with these really young people in a playground and they're, like, going, I think Brexit's going to ruin my life. He's like, yeah. So in this two and a half minute video, he what he claims he's going to do on his, on, his, on his kind of, like, journey outside you know outside the metropolitan elite he does it for about four seconds and he i think he's a divisive figure i mean yeah katie hopkins is divisive in in a very obvious way i think somebody like andrew adonis is, is not not to that degree but certainly you know some of the patronizing way that he talks about leave voters is uh he doesn't realize you know maybe he doesn't realize how triggering that can be and I do get sometimes when I hear Remainers, especially in, you know, in a metropolitan London and the way they talk about uh, believe voters, they go, oh, no, you just don't like working class people. That's all it is. Yeah. And that's that's a stereotype that they like to conjure in their heads. Yeah, it has... Sorry about that, mate. I... <laughs> This, well, it's just how I feel. <laughs> there are, you know, it has brought that issue, and this is one of the reasons that I always, I always thought right from the beginning. And I might be proved wrong because of the way that, that negotiations have been handled by the Tories, but I always thought it would prove more of a problem for the Labour Party because it would kind of lance this boil of what the party really is. You know, what the majority of their MPs are and how they feel about the world, and you know that that other part of the Labour Party and bring it out into the open. And, and, and certainly in the first six months after, it seemed to be. 
weirdly, they were cast in the role of sort of pat- left-wing patricians, weren't they? Really, yeah. sort of saying, no, no, you, you know, we shouldn't, you, we shouldn't have had the vote. You shouldn't have been allowed to vote. Leave it to us. You know, we'll sort of take care of stuff. You just return us to power. Uh, you know, we'll we'll take care of things. And, and I think that a lot of people have evolved their thinking since. A lot of people on on the left. You know, there's don't get me wrong. There's plenty of old-fashioned. You know, I mean, that was one of the interesting things about the vote was that you know people like Dennis Skinner. You know Tony Benn and stuff. People just conveniently forgot that there was plenty of very solid left-wing reasons uh, for voting Leave. Well, Corbyn himself pro- yeah. probably would have mm-hmm. wanted it's to. So vote. it's so weird, isn't it? Yeah. Like we, I mean, it's such a simple thing, but to stop and think that you've got a prime minister who's a Remainer that's trying to make Leave, <laughs> <laughs> and you've got an opposition leader who is a Leaver that's sort of being pulled towards. It's so they're, they're, in the weird way, they're like the only two people in the world that understand one another. Yeah, like over like they do. <laughs> like, you know, like one of those like, old toy action men. Yeah. They just ring up and go, "Oh my god, what a day we've had!" Yeah, you know, yeah, they just yeah. get fucking hammered together, like mm-hmm. in, in in secret. It's a very, it's very strange once you actually stop uh, and and reflect uh, on on what's happening. But you know what I do think as well. I, I do think that um, a, a deal will happen in the end, and I think that what will happen then is is the press will continually report on any evidence that, that you know things are going wrong. Or, or, or right. I think most of British people will go, OK, I'd really like to talk about something else for a while. <laughs> you know, I'd really like to give it a year or two and just, just see how it goes because we have done a, we've done a lot of this. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and like a lot of Leave voters, it's not like... I think I've softened my stance a little bit in a way. You know, I was very... Con- you know, because when you get represented in a certain way, you know, the natural thing is to either become that thing or, or to be to be resentful. But I sort of think, like... You know, it was 52-48, it was a close vote, you know, and, it, you know, ultimately, you've you got to move forward at some point. And I don't think that... And it's part of the reason, you know, in terms of the comedy that I do, I, I, it would be... I could probably get a bigger audience, right, if I was like, yeah, you Romaniac pricks and, you know, mm. stuff like that. And it's just not... I don't think it's constructive, do you know what I mean? And I think that, in a way, it's a harder thing to do to get somebody to reluctantly... Who started off maybe thinking that you're a stupid racist prick to just end up thinking that you're a stupid prick. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that positive note, it's time for us to wrap up. So the last question we always ask, Jeff, is what's the one thing that no one's talking about that we should be talking about? I think uh, the the sexualization, the representation of men um, and the way that women talk about men's bodies and looks and stuff. Because obviously there has been... <laughs> I really didn't expect that. No, I'm I know, I know, I know. Yeah. Yeah, well, so well, Jeff is with the men's rights movement. Yeah. No, no, no. I, I, I'm such a meninist, it's such a shit word. <laughs> but it, um, I think that what's been happening is no doubt like the objectification of women is still greater and yeah. stuff, you know, and the, uh, of men is still less. But if you look at the direction of travel, right, and I've noticed this a lot in social circles and stuff, the women are quite bold in talking about what they like about the way that men look, and you know, it's sort of like they're experimenting with a certain liberty, you know, like pole dark and stuff. And yeah. I even heard on um, uh, Radio Five Live the film review program, and it, they were they were talking about Henry Cavill. These were two female sort of uh, host and guest they were like well you know Henry Cavill's there so that brightens up the place and I was thinking that is literally the kind of stuff that was said in the 70s by men brightens up the place and and I don't mind because you know I've grown up in an age where there probably was like a massive imbalance but I do think that you know for my son who's two and a half now you know he'll grow up in that age where it would have gone full circle where he'll be doing a bit of weight and stuff start you know work and then a woman would just smack him on the arse and he'll go you know actually I, I don't feel comfortable with that level uh, of contact and I think that so if you just look at the direction of travel I mean I've done a couple of um, I've done a couple of corporate gigs recently this is a bit tricky to talk about I, where I was you know you get guidelines right and you know yeah. just just be careful around issues of me too and feminism yeah. and stuff like that and then you're on stage posing for photos and you've got a woman grabbing your ass and then you mention it afterwards and everyone laughs you know that's yeah. fine I, yeah, look I don't feel under threat in that situation but I think it's not an issue perhaps for me it's probably an issue 15, 20 years down the line where you know it won't be you know seen as quite such a playful thing well you'd be able to do a social media update 20 years down the line won't you what told you so yeah <laughs> <laughs> and on that note it's been a lovely interview Jeff was there anything that you'd like to plug uh, you, you got your tour yeah so Twitter you know come and say hello uh, Where? what's your Twitter handle uh, it is Jeff Norcott Jeff with a G Norcott N-O-R-C-O-T-T most things that's where the biggest sort of following is and so uh, YouTube channel though so we've got a few more subscribers there I need to do more on that and then the main thing obviously is I'm on tour 
at the moment and right through till the last date of the winter bit is December the 7th at Leicester Square Theatre all around the country and then there's one straight date in January uh, in Exeter but yeah it's been brilliant doing the tour as well like I think one thing that people sometimes think about coming to my shows is it's going to be this kind of echo chamber of like mm. meathead like like leavers but so far I've done five dates of this leg and it's been a majority uh, of Remainers it's been a slim majority um, but sometimes <laughs> a slim majority is all you need right? yeah absolutely well, fantastic uh, if you haven't seen Jeff before he's absolutely fantastic comedian check him out uh, we'll put a, a clip uh, for your YouTube channel we'll make sure Great. to connect that will be all over Twitter and everything else uh, Jeff and I are both actually performing Comedy Unleashed in London on November 13th so come along to that if you're free and as always, follow us uh, on social media at TriggerPod. Subscribe to this YouTube channel if you enjoyed it. And uh, we'll see you next week with another brilliant episode. Absolutely, guys. And also, if you're on iTunes, leave us a nice review. That'd be amazing. See you next week. Bye-bye. Before you go, consider joining our exclusive member feed. As a member, you'll get ad-free and extended interviews. Click the membership link in the podcast description or find the exclusive episodes link on your podcast listening app to join us.